was nice having the kids in here. They uh, they definitely were part of worship, huh? It's good. I got to make sure I tell those guys how how uh, much I appreciated that. It was good. So um, um, we were in Luke fourteen. And last week, I took time to talk about the things that Jesus taught when he was at a, a feast and in a place they were invited to to have a meal. He, he, uh, he watches people clamoring for the seat of honor. He tells them, don't do that. Sit in the back. Sit in a less honorable place. Let the host honor you. Then he looks at the host and he instructs the host, like, if you want to be blessed, this is really nice that you invited all of us here. But if you really want to be blessed, invite people that can't return the, the favor. Invite the people that are, who can't do that back for you. And then your father will see that and you'll really be blessed in inviting those kind of people in. Then someone asked the question, was a good question. It was one of those, I'm glad you asked that, you know, Jesus. And, and uh, he says, um, um, this guest says, someday God will have a kingdom feast and, will, and how happy and privileged will be the ones who get to share in that joy. This is one of the guests that says this. And Jesus like, yeah, I got, a, I got a parable about that. And he just begins relating this parable about someone that prepared a feast it was all paid for. It's like you've, you're doing a wedding reception, and you've, you've gotten the caterer, you've got all the people, you've got all the things lined up, and the cost is what the cost is. You went to the bank, you know, like, got to get a loan for that, whatever. You know, it can be expensive, but it's a celebration. Your daughter, your son, someone's getting married, like it's, it's a really, or some other thing where you're inviting people and there are guests. And it's paid for, it's done, it's a free, we're inviting you, and he sends his servant out, hey, go tell everybody, it's ready, come. And the excuses start, oh man, I just got married, I can't do that. I'm not sure what that excuse had to like, you know, free dinner out with your, you don't have to pay for this, take, you know, whatever. That guy's really daft. Somebody else is like, I just got a new job, I can't come. Someone else has another excuse. Servant comes back and he tells the, this master, this person that's invited everybody, hey, they, I got a lot of excuses. Like a lot of people checked out on this. He's like, well, go back out and invite another group of people. He goes out, they go out, same thing. He says, yeah, some of them have come, but it's, there's still room. And this, this shows the heart of God. This is Jesus telling a parable because he wants to make a point. And he says, go back out one more time. Invite everybody you see. The homeless, the poor, the broken, the whatever. Like, bring them all. And then this caption we see at the end of verse um, um, 21, I think it would be. Invite them so that my house will be full. And the father has a big big house there's lots of room remember that was a dc talk what was the who did that song audio journal great song 
great concept because in God's kingdom, there's plenty of room. We don't have to get rid of the population. There's plenty of room. The expanse is immense in God's kingdom, in his place. And his heart is, his heart is, make sure you hear, his heart is that all will come, that his house will be full. That's what he wants. He wants his house to be full, and he wants you to be free. And so back to this theme that I've been on about following Jesus, which has just been a mushroom cloud for me. It's just been this growing revelation. I realized, and I linked it with, uh, with Philippians 1.6, where he will finish the work that he began in you until the day of Jesus Christ. He's faithful to do that. And when does that begin? That begins like he calls us and draws us. We have a story about how the Lord got us to him. Then there's another story that begins at that moment. The work begins. And you're all excited about being a Christian and following Jesus, and, but there's stuff to work on. There's stuff happens. Things happen, which confuses the heck out of us. Hey, after all, I said, yes, I'm following. I'm with you. I'm not against you. And this crap happens, this stuff these obstacles, these offenses, these struggles come. Where did they come from? They shouldn't be. It wasn't in the book. I didn't sign, you know, like this was to get rid of that stuff, not, not more tears, not, not more sorrow, not more conflict. But his goal is to, but he has to prepare us for what shows up here. And the reference is in uh, verse 24. I say to all of you, to you all, the one who receives an invitation to Feast with me and makes excuses, will never enjoy my banquet. And so you turn back to Revelations 19, verse 9, and, and you see there's, a, there's an event, a destination event coming that you don't want to miss. Even if you don't have, you're sitting here, you don't have the comprehension of what that is. This is the thing in all of your lifetime, all of eternity, you want to be invited to. You want to be a part of this. This is an event of the ages. The marriage supper of the lamb, that, that feast, that, wed that wedding, that event. You want to be there. And there is a preparation that needs to take place. Let's turn there because it, the word is too important. Revelations chapter 19. I'll start back in verse, um, the end of 6, or part, partly through verse 6. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory, because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear, and the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of his holy believers. So there's action involved with this, the, this reference to the righteous deeds, the things we've done, that it's all part of this, and then this preparing us, making us ready we have to get the right garments on, and they are grace. They are come from grace, but they have to be on. And I talked about, I was reading this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This given me so much, called A Discipleship. 
And he, he, like I've never actually heard before, he distinguishes between cheap grace and costly grace. And cheap grace is when there's no price to pay for walking that out or to responding to it. Costly grace, it costs you something. You have to repent. You have to obey Jesus. You have to walk in his ways. It's, it's a grace that costs because the grace is given so that you can be who you're supposed to be. But a cheap grace is like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And there's no real, there's no real repentance. There's no concern about how you're walking. I'm keeping some stuff. I'm not keeping some stuff. I'm like, Jesus wouldn't really want me to do that, would he? And we begin, if we get away from the word, we begin to create our own gospel, our own way of walking and following Jesus. So though it can never be earned or deserved, there's a whole different attitude in those that realize this grace costs, it costs me something because it cost him something. It's not given cheaply. It's given at great cost. This feast that we're invited to is provided to us at great cost. The cost, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to attend. You can't buy this ticket. You can't earn this ticket. This is, this is a destination event we want to go to. You're invited to. So allow this work that Jesus begins on the day that you begin to truly follow him. If you say you're following him, like if you say you're his disciples, but there's no following, and you just say, well, I believe, like you've got to question that. There's an action, there is a walk, there's a change, and it, it costs you something, and, you, and he brings you into this working, and you, you stay with it because you because you want, to, you want to become who we want you to become. You're willing to pay the price because like, this is hard, but I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to believe. I'm going to press through. I'm going to repent again. It's like you don't have to be perfect in this sense that, you know, clean the fish before you catch them. Like it's, it's like it's okay to be imperfect. It's, an, it's a hard attitude. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a position of your heart where you're like, I've not arrived, but I'm going to. I didn't get that exactly right, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to go after Jesus until I do, until I get grace to get this right, to get free from this, to get over this. Jesus is so patient with us. He's way patient, more patient than you are about things and about people. Just If you need a standard, he's more gracious, more kind, more loving, more patient than you are. And you pride yourself sometimes. Look how patient I am. You actually aren't. Yeah. We wear out fast, don't we, with people. I'll, I'll never, we're just saying that song. Only Jesus can say, you know, that he'll never leave us. You know, we promise that to each other. Like, it's one thing to promise that. It's like wedding vows. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> aren't they just amazing? We write songs about them. Like, yeah, yeah. What happens Monday morning <laughs> before the honeymoon's over? Like, <laughs> yeah, what was that about? I just got hooked up with someone I don't even think I like, you know. 
can have the same feeling about Jesus. About the day that he starts asking you to do stuff you don't want to do, you're like, oh, I don't like you anymore. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not with you. I'm, I'm, yeah. All that to get to this very challenging scripture, and it's in Luke 14, and it's good. Again, I love this book that I got from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, um, a martyr, actually, um, from the Hitler regime. Um, And he addresses this chapter, and I saw something I never saw before. I'm like, oh, this is so good. So let's read. In verse, um, the, the numbers on the verses are so small in this. That's the only thing about the Passion Translation. You can, they look like they're tiny. Okay. I'm in verse 25. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside, or in your version it'll say, hate. Doesn't this create a conundrum for you? Like, Your father, your mother, your wife, your sister, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my own disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. This is costly grace. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to to complete it? Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbors will uh, ridicule him, saying, look at him. He started to build, but he couldn't even complete it. Have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to a war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army to win the war against a, a <coughs> excuse me, stronger opponent? If he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegates to ask for the terms of peace. Like, I know I can't beat you. Let's all live, especially me. Let's, you know, come to some peace. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples. This goes back to Mark, and we'll turn there in a little bit, where the rich young ruler, the story we all know, Jesus said, this one thing you haven't done, and he says this again with compassion to him, you need to sell all that you have, give to the poor, come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sat now you think at that moment the disciples would be like what a sucker why what an idiot you fool you just missed an opportunity to follow jesus right like that's that's how we kind of feel sitting here in church now that situation is long past and reading about it like oh bad choice you ever watch someone good choice then you watch somebody else make another choice like oh bad choice the disciples should have been like wow but they had a funny reaction to that. And we'll get to it a little bit. We'll get, I'll get to it later because I want to finish here. They had a strange reaction. When they should have been because it pierced them. And this passes pierce us. So I have a story. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> 
I have, a, I have an ugly illustration story, but I'll be transparent um, because I find we all have these stories. We all have these things. And uh, this is part of the process. This is part of what Jesus is working out in us in this following him. It begins. The work begins. Let's go to work on that. You think, oh, me, I'm good. I'll follow you, Peter. I'll die for you, Jesus. Like, not me. I'll never deny you, right? And he meant every word. He's like, I can do this. Was he right? No, he wasn't right. I go, oh, I could do it. I don't say that. I'm like, wow. I pray I have grace if I ever have to, after I ever have to do it, that I can do it. That's what I pray for, because I don't look to my own strength to do that. As you get old enough, you go, you stop looking to yourself like, oh, I could do that. Like, you just stop saying those things. And this issue about not loving, like, um, and it has to do with the relationship with my mother, who's passed away now. And she was my spiritual mentor. She guided me in a lot of a lot of difficult situations as, as you know, everybody that's a teenager has difficult situations and then you hit your 20s and it really gets def- difficult. And, and she, she mentored and she, she was really largely responsible for me coming to Jesus in the first place because of her faith. And she was that person that always had an edge on discernment and da-da-da. And so I really looked up to her and we were very close. I had conflicts, little things with my father, but those always came and went. That was just like normal stuff. But with her, like we didn't have, we hardly ever had those kind of things. And I really looked up to her and it was all, it's all good and fine, except that I don't realize how much I needed her approval for what I was doing. So you think it's not there. But eventually, and it had to do, it was, you know, it had to do with this church. And at a certain point, she was away and busy and consumed with things and then came back and decided she was going to correct me and tell me how I should handle some things and had a real issue with who I was listening to and who was the group of you all, yeah, that were, we were walking out some things together. And she tried to speak into that. I'm like, and so you react and you respond to things, you do, you do certain things, and that you, you look back, you go, I had to do that. Could I have done it better? Yeah, if I would have been more free and less fleshly, then yeah, there was, a, there was a better way. There was a way to keep your love on, but you still have to come to this place where, where you, you follow Jesus, like you follow what you feel Jesus is doing. This is this passage that comes into play. And it got so nasty, I, ha- I, had to con- I got there, and then I had a hard time getting back out of it. I hate my mother. Congratulations. Except there was no reward. Like, hey, hey, you know, like I could show this to Jesus. See, you told me to. I'm arrived. I'm good. She's offended me. She became what she said she would not be. Like, I don't get this. I had a hardest time. Like, it wasn't until she almost passed away, like, right before that, I finally let it go. Like, no one could tell. I knew all the rights and wrongs of it, but it just took this grace. All of a sudden, I was able to just release her. She wasn't even conscious enough to know. I didn't, it wasn't what I said. It was like, 
finally, there was a release, release in my heart. It would have been good if I could have kept my love on, and, but, but I still would have had to walk out some things and lost her approval over it. Then, if she didn't like me anymore, that would have been on her. But, yeah, okay, anyways, I didn't do it well, but we're here today, so, you know, sometimes you go, but I'm still standing. I showed up, you know, I showed up for this chapter of my life. So, why does this have to happen, and why did Jesus say this, mother, father, brother, sister? He just identified all the closest relationships in our life, and and he, 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 he says, you've got to love me more than these. And I said this last week, in pro, like in reference to what I was going to share on today. The people that you love the most can be the biggest hindrance to you following Jesus. All of a sudden, you'll make compromising decisions. It all seems so innocent at first. And... Uh, Pretty soon, you're not following Jesus. You're just following being approved. It's a deep-rooted need we have, and it's why we like to belong to things. We love belonging to things. Jeannie just was explaining to us about her new red Jeep and her little ducks that go with a Jeep, and you got to be a Jeep person to understand that, you know? They give these, put these little duckies on your vehicle. I did not know this was going on in our culture. It's called Duck Duck Jeep. If you don't, you know, and they have a special wave to each other, like V for Victory. Came out of World War II. It's really a cool thing, you know. So you you got your nice new little red Jeep, and you belong to something. It's fun, and she's enjoying it, and she should. It's great. We like that sense of belonging to something. It, it we do. It's and there's nothing wrong with it. Until it interferes with following Jesus, then it's a problem. That's why all of this always has to get addressed. You want to get real sticky? It, it shows up in a marriage. In, in your marriage, you've got to come to this place where you honor your husband, you honor your wife, you're faithful, you're all of these things, you keep, you're keeping your vows, but Jesus is, is above that. And we're going to see this. He needs to become the mediator between you and everything. That's what is involved in following Jesus. So I begin to read this in this chapter. And I mean, he refers to the scripture and then he starts talking. And I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, listen. He just reads this out of Luke 14. Then he says this, through the call of Jesus, men become individuals. And that's what Jesus, he wants you to become a person. Many of you have gone through this. You get identified as so-and-so's husband or so-and-so's wife or so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's, you know, sister. And you're identified, and that's, that's fine if you're being introduced. Hey, this is my brother. Hey, this is my sister. That's fine. Except until it becomes your identity, and he's like, I'm not me, I'm their brother. Are you tracking with me? Do you know this shows up in the funniest places? And all of a sudden, your identity is with this bigger thing. So belonging is fine, but it cannot be 
who you are if you're going to follow Jesus. You need to be his follower, his disciple. And this is how you get free. And then he says, willy-nilly. I just kind of look that up. What does willy-nilly mean? Okay. They are compelled to decide, and that decision can only be made by themselves. So once you, and I had been feeling this, the call to follow, Jesus gives that to every person. Every person needs to hear that call, follow me. If you've not heard that, I would just, I'm going to, I hope you get uncomfortable with that. If you don't know that Jesus called you to follow him, then if you feel uncomfortable about that, that's a good thing. Go figure that, go like, because if you're trying to follow without him following, calling you, you won't do very well. I'm telling you, you won't. And it's a whole different thing when you know he's called you, you say yes and you move. You begin to follow him. Now this is between you and him. You're not following your wife. You're not following your husband. You're not following your mother. You're not following your pastor. You're not following some uh, YouTube person that has a channel that you just love. You're not following a TV you know, person that's, that's whatever. You're not following someone. You're following Jesus. And there are times we get so into an organization, a leader, a person, a whatever, that we say one thing, but the reality is we're following that. And Jesus wants to confront that in our lives. He confronted me, and wow, it was kind of ugly. It threw me off really bad. But in it, I found who I was. And as I led our church through a lot of different awkward things, I know Phyllis was having a panic attack at more than one time. Some of you probably counseled her through that. My husband, you know. She's like, you're going to destroy, you're going to wreck the thing. And she says, do you, do you want, what was the question the Lord asked you at one point? Do you want to have, do you want more people in your church? Or, or do you want a? Do you want a lot of people or do you want Rick to know me and follow me? Yeah, or do you want Rick to know me and follow me? That's hard for a poor wife to go through, especially when the sky's falling. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when your husband's blowing up things. You know, that thing. It's a little hard to trust, you know. He'll ask you that about your kids. After all, you know what's right. Especially they're, they're in their 20s and you really know what's best for them, right? It's so hard to let go when you care. So it works both ways. And, and on our part, be careful you're not manipulating people. Like the Lord, if I get a little hint, hinge of that in my leadership role here, I get rebuked. Like I get tapped on the shoulder. Uh, 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 uh. It's illegal for me to say things as spiritual as they may sound sometimes. If I can get them to sound straight, you can. But there's a difference between allowing people to truly follow Jesus and have convictions of their own opposed to manipulate. I can't manipulate or control. That's illegal. It's illegal for you. Don't manipulate and control your husband and wife. Don't manipulate your kids, young or old. 
Don't use that. Don't use that tactic. Jesus wants us all to know him. And you'll be amazed if you back off. You don't have to prove bad behavior. It's not about that. Just be quiet. Just step back. Go. People will feel convicted much faster if you just allow the shoe to drop, so to speak. Just step back like, what, you don't think that's right? Like, you need to know whether it's right or not. Every man is called separately and must follow alone. But men are frightened of solitude and they try to protect themselves from it by merging themselves in the society of their fellow men and in their material environment. They become suddenly aware of their responsibilities and duties and are loath to part with them. But all this is only a cloak to protect them from having to make a decision. Wow. Wow, wow. I'll just let you process that. You, they are unwilling to stand alone before Jesus and to be compelled to decide with their eyes fixed on him alone. Did you paint your house the color that you like or did you paint your house the color that the people with influence in your life like? Did you buy the car you bought because it, this is really the car I want? Or did you buy it because it's the one everybody... Oh, that's yeah, that's what you show. Oh, no, 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 don't buy that. Sorry. It shows up in the funniest ways, but here's God, the God of... He wants you to be an individual, and he wants us between, to be between you and him. Because if it becomes between you and people, and I'm not talking about accountability and responsibility, and those good, they're good things. But I'm talking about this thing where you're living to please people. When, when I met Phyllis, she was so independent and on this walk to follow Jesus. She was, it was just all about her. So when I actually met her, she had recently found Jesus and was following him. And she was just all in. She was full of life following, running all over the place, going to this meeting, going to that meeting, doing, doing whatever. She just was, she was free. She didn't get really entangled and covered down until she married me. Then, that, then there was issues there. And, and she'll, she, we, we talk freely with one another. She's like, at a certain point in the marriage, she's like, wow, I didn't think this would be what, what it looked like being married to a spirit-filled guitar player like you're not very filled, you know, that thing. Wow. Matter of fact, you're heavy. Like, I was. I was roll. I was not, yeah, wasn't good. And, and in that, and the, the complications of it were trying to be submissive as a wife, trying to honor Scripture, trying to honor me. And it gets tangled. It gets it gets challenging, and you need Jesus to work your way through that. Like, it's, it is. Let me mute the mic. Stay here. I do. I have to say this. When Rick and I got married, I mean, I had watched marriages 
and I went, I'm not going to get my life from my husband. And so I knew not to draw life from my husband. But then we got married, and Rick said, I'm not going to have any friends. You are going to be my one and only. We are going to do things together. I'm going to be everything that you needed. And I fell for it. I did. I went. I Thanks went, for sharing that, fellas. You ha it's I have no, to. I have to because. That was my belief system. It was. He's like, he's like, you know how guys play golf? I'm not going to. I don't do that stuff. You're going to be my sole thing. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This, I, I man, you know, I, I really, this is more than what I bargained for. And he failed terribly. He did because he didn't realize that he opened up a monster. You can be a monster if somebody promises you the life. You can. If they promise you the moon, you begin to go, I want it. And I began to do that. It's like, Rick, why aren't, Rick, Rick, Rick. And, and he couldn't do it. And so I had about a year of trying to, trying to be in this marriage where he was supposed to meet my needs. And because I was looking to him, I quit looking to the Lord. And pretty soon I was draining him and there was two dogs, I mean, two ticks and no dog. We were not doing good. We really weren't. And I went down to Jonathan's mom, and I said, I married a Christian. He's not supposed to be this way. My marriage is supposed to be better than this. I don't get this. It wasn't bad, bad. It was just really lacking. And the Lord, I, I left, and Sue's trying to help me, and, but I'm like, what happened? I'll never forget where is that when the Lord said this. He said, when did he, you quit, when did I quit being your life? And you started looking to him. And I went, oh my God, I had promised I wouldn't do this. And here I was looking to Rick to fulfill my life. I repented, and, and I, I have to say this. It, it would go away, and then I'd look to him again for life. And then I would repent, and I'd look to the Lord again. And this just kept going until there was truly freedom. I don't look to Rick for my life. He doesn't feel that draw from me. And we have a good relationship because of it. But I, I had to share that because you had to know the whole thing. See, it's worse than I described. <laughs> but that is so, this is priceless. Like, it's so important for us to be vulnerable about this and talk about it because this is, this is the reality. And it will show up in all kinds of things. And this is what Jesus, this is why he calls you to put him first. Because he's the only one that can be all he promised to be. And he's the only one that will save you from, he wants you to be free. And uh, he will not lead you astray. And he'll lead you to e eternal things and, and keep his word. And so it's, it's so important. Um, let's look um, at 
there's, there's so much to that. Let's, let's look now at Mark because I don't want to run out of time and uh, not get here. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10. And this is, this is the aftermath of the situation with the rich young ruler. He goes away sad. The disciples should have been like, they should have actually been patting themselves on the back. Yeah, well, like we sold our stuff. We're, we're following Jesus. We're good, right? They were, for all appearances sake, they were doing what, they, what he required of that rich young ruler. Or not. Something was wrong. I can't fill in that blank. I don't know. But they had a bad reaction to it. They went, they lost hope. They're like, who could be saved then? Like, that wasn't really the right question, but it's where, they're, it's where they were. They asked this. Like, oh, oh, wow. How can you ask that? Peter spoke up and said, can't you see that we've left everything we had had to cling to you? Like we've done this in verse uh, 28. And in verse 29, Jesus says, listen to my words. Anyone who leaves his home behind and chooses me over children, parents, family, possessions, all for the sake of the gospel, it will come back to him a hundred times as much in this lifetime Homes, family, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, possessions, along with persecutions. Can't leave that out. And in the age to come, he will inherit eternal life. So he does give back. And uh, I think I referred to uh, Abraham. He, he's asked, he finally has this son of promise. This was all like his walk with the Lord. You're going to have a son. Your, your inheritance, your, your descendants are going to be as many as the sand. There's, God promised it. He's an old man. He finally has this, son, this promised son. And then he's asked the unthinkable. I want you to take that son that you waited all these years and sacrifice him. Inconceivable, unthinkable. The pagans do this stuff. You can't be asking me to do this. But he is willing, goes all the way there, gets on the mount, and right before he kills his son, an angel intervenes, and there's a ram caught in the thicket, and, and the Lord provides the sacrifice. Like the Lord, he, he put him right to that place. And what does he do? He gives his son back. The thing he asked him to give, he turns right around and he gives it back. This is our father. What's all that about? About making you an individual, about making you free. So you're following him and not things. And once you live that life and if you walk in that, then you won't be able to be manipulated, bought, sold, like this is part of the reason for the horrendous situation the whole world actually is in, is because people have been compromised, blackmailed. They've, been, they've come under, at some point, they wanted the riches more. They wanted something else more. And, and now they're owned by the wrong people. And they do horrendous things because... It comes down to this. Jesus wants us free from that. You start down the path, 
and none of us can say when we can pull up. All of a sudden, you're in a situation where you just did, the unth you did something unthinkable. I mean, I hear the stories all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, how'd I get here? But if we follow him, put him first, he's going after, like this is, this is the beginnings that we, that we follow him, that no one, that, n that no, no love of any person, no love of anything is greater than our love for him, that we've chosen to follow and we follow whatever it costs us, whatever it takes. And, uh, and, and that would be the, that's the liberating truth of being a disciple. And that's walking in costly grace, a grace that cost him something, and a grace that mandates that we follow, that we follow with all of our hearts. Amen. Yeah. Yes. So, um, I know. Okay. Phyllis asked me to play a song. I will get my guitar, just play the song. This was the song I sang when I was um, young. It was the first song that I sang in church where I, I found my voice. And that's why I say it's so important to find your voice, to use your voice, to sing out. And I, I just, there was emotion attached to it, I remember, or attached to it, and I remember it. There was just, it was the youth group that came up, sang a couple simple choruses, and I must have had a verse or something. And... Um, I found my voice like I realized then that I could sing like as soon as I can find my voice I'll sing I've decided follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back the cross before me the world behind me the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, Still I will follow Though none go with me Still I will follow No turning back No turning back Turn your eyes upon Jesus The fool And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the light of 
Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that you call each of us to follow you. Let your voice be heard, your call be known. And then grant us the grace to follow you. Whenever, wherever, to walk in a way that we know that you're first, that we love you first. And though we love many things and love many people, Nothing is greater than you. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.